Marketing can be an incredible force for good. It can also be complicated and confusing. I'm your host, Erica Mills Barnhart, and my goal with this podcast is to bring clarity to the marketing chaos for you. You'll learn inspiring yet practical ways to think about marketing differently so you can do marketing differently and get better results with less stress and more joy for you and your team. Motivation is for the mind and inspiration is for the heart. Marketing for good takes both. Welcome to a whole new way of thinking and doing marketing. Welcome to Marketing for Good. Hi there, it's Erica. Today on the episode, we have the dazzling Dana Van Est. Dana, among many other things, is incredible when it comes to understanding and telling stories. She has written a screenplay that has been made into a movie, right? Like she's a pro at this. And what I think is particularly compelling about how she applies that is now she's doing content strategy. So, you know, digital strategy, social media. And in this episode, she really drills down onto some, some specifics. Like I know a lot of these episodes are changing how you think about marketing. And we do that a bit in this, but this is also going way into like changing how you do marketing, really practical advice, but wrapped up in this package, which is around story and narrative, which is so important. So, so, so important. Super cool. Dana is part of the Marketing for Good Facebook group. And so she will be there if you have a question out of this episode. Whenever you listen to it, uh, go to the Facebook group. If you're not already a member, it's the Marketing for Good Facebook group. Sign up and ask your question and she will get it answered directly from Dana. I'm so grateful to her for being willing to do that. She really is a Oh, wealth of information, font of knowledge, however you want to say it, and a super groovy gal. So let's dive right in and let you soak up the goodness that is Dana Van Ness. All right. With me today is writer and communications strategist Dana Van Est. Before opening her consulting practice, she was Associate Director of Marketing, Communications, and Public Relations at Henry Art Gallery, where she was responsible for planning and executing the museum's marketing, communications, and public relations plans. She also worked as Marketing Director at Collins Group, a fundraising consulting firm, where she provided strategic direction for the firm's business development and marketing communications initiatives. Since 2010, Dana has been a member of the Association for Women in Communications Seattle Professional Chapter. In 2016, she received the Georgina McDougall Davis Founders Award. This award is given annually to a Seattle Chapter member who consistently exhibits the highest ethics, professional excellence, and personal commitment in everything she does. In 2003, her original co-written screenplay, wait for it, this is so flipping cool, screenplay, Turn Right by the Yellow Dog, was produced by the Danish Film Institute and debuted at the San Jose Film Festival. Dana holds a BA in English from the University of Washington and an MFA in creative writing from Emerson College. Dana Van Est, welcome to the show. Thank you. I'm happy to be here this morning. Yay. <laughs> so I just read your professional bio, mm -hmm. and clearly there are some themes in your career, writing and words principle among them. Mm -hmm. 
But would you just, I want to start by having you tell listeners just a bit more about you and how you got to where you are today. Okay. Yeah, the theme of writing definitely goes back to my young, young days. And that's because I'm a reader first. Anytime that I have the chance, that's what I'm doing. I'm reading a book. That is my preferred method of relaxation, of learning, of being both with the world and in a different place in the world. And so when I was young, in elementary school, I started figuring out that I could write those stories too. And that I was pretty good at it and I was encouraged to do it. So I started identifying as a writer when I was a little girl. And it was a place to escape and to practice sentences, to practice words, to practice building whole worlds in my own head and then pushing those out on paper. And as I grew older, I started realizing that that could be a career. It was like a thing, like a thing in the world. It was a thing in the world. (laughs) It wasn't necessarily super supported by my parents at first because they were worried about the economics of being a writer. Uh, I tried journalism, but journalism is true stories. Great for journalists. Love reading journalism. Totally support our local papers and our national papers right now. But I like to make things up. I think that's a lot more fun. So (laughs) when I was in college, I went into creative writing. So my degree, as you said, is English with a creative writing emphasis. And then a couple of years later, after I graduated college, I went to Boston to get my MFA in creative writing which is a wonderful experience and where I got introduced to screenwriting. And screenwriting is, you know, dialogue on paper is the way I looked at it. And dialogue is something that I was good at. And as those years passed, I kind of honed my skills in writing dialogue and writing short stories. I kind of assumed I would always get to a novel, but I never did then. And I haven't now. And at this point in time, that's not really where my interests lie. After I wrote that screenplay, Turn Right by the Yellow Dog, which was not my original name. It means something, something in Danish that I can't uh, adequately um, transcribe because I don't actually speak Danish. I wrote it in English and it was translated into Danish. So um, some, of the, some of the nuance got lost in places here and there. It was a really excellent experience writing that screenplay. But what I found is that screenplay writing isn't as much of a collaborative sport as it may seem. People buy your screenplay and then they do what they want with it. <laughs> you get credit and you get some money and that's nice, but it's no longer yours. Hmm. And that was something I didn't want. I want to come back to this idea about writing being a team sport um, mm-hmm. and marketing being a team sport, which yeah. is something we talk about on the show. But I have a question for you, which is, do you think there's such a thing as like someone who's just a natural writer or, or is it a skill that anyone can learn? I think some people have more of a way with words than other people, but you have to hone that skill. If you don't hone that skill and pay attention, you won't be a good writer. It's the same with doing a sport. It really is. You may have a natural athletic ability, but if you don't practice and you don't get out there every day and try to, to hone your talent, you won't get better. Writing is the same way. That's a great analogy. Great analogy. <laughs> okay. About the team sport thing. Yeah. So I think, you know, I want to talk about, you know, content strategy and marketing strategy and these things, but I think people think about writing as like a very solitary activity. So can you, can you talk to us a bit about how to think about 
writing in the context of marketing and how those things are become a, a team sport? Writing is and isn't a solitary activity. You may do the actual work by yourself, but all of the words that you put out there on the page will be assessed and judged and critiqued and applauded or not by whoever you are writing the words for. It took me a long time as a younger person to get my own ego out of the way. Uh-huh. Yeah, it's hard. It's hard. <laughs> it was really hard because I had been praised for being a good writer and I really took that to heart. It became my identity. Your identity. Yeah. yeah. And so when someone later would say, yeah, this is good, but, or, and, yeah. I could get really upset about it. It took me putting my ego aside and saying, okay, here's the deal. I've been hired at this point in time in the work I do. I've been hired to, to write this piece for a specific person or organization and for this reason. So I'm going to write them the best draft that I can. And we're going to go over it together because it's theirs. It's not mine. This writing does not belong to me. And when you're writing for marketing purposes or fundraising communications, it doesn't belong to you. It belongs to the organization and it has to hit the audiences that they are trying to reach. So you're always having to look at a different perspective. And there is pride in getting it right the first time, but it almost never happens. (laughs) Well, but there's, I also think it's important to make the distinction between pride and ego. Yeah. Yeah. You can be, I mean, it's sort of like kids, right? You can be proud of them, but you know, they're their own humans and Mm -hmm. they're meant to be out in the world. And you know, with the writing, it's like, you can be proud of it, but to your point, it's, it's not, it's not yours necessarily. Yeah. Okay. I'm hoping you're going to, you can clear something up for listeners. What Mm -hmm. is the difference? So you do writing and content strategy. Mm -hmm. What is the difference between content strategy and marketing strategy in your mind? An organization should have marketing goals and strategies that map back to whatever their strategic plan is or their business plan and how their marketing communications plan is going to augment their greater business goals. But the content itself, you're drilling down a little bit further and and actually looking at what is going to go in each of these platforms in each of these places this week. So it's much more about the actual words than the the outcome almost. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. Well, what I mean is. So like words as tactical instruments. Well, that's an interesting way to put it. But they well, are, thanks. right? I just thought of that. It just, yeah. came, just popped out of my mouth. <laughs> no, I like that because that makes sense. That's why you spend 10 minutes writing a Twitter post sometimes. Every yes. word and every, every placement of that word count. It is tactical. I would have written you a shorter letter, but I didn't have the time. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and so when I teach, and it doesn't matter if I'm teaching my marketing class or any of my classes, I always I have them do a 280-character weekly reflection. Right. I know. Um, (laughs) And it's actually worth a pretty, usually it's a pretty decent chunk of their grade because it is hard and they have to do the reflection and it's not a summary. Like don't, I'm not looking for them to summarize. I believe deeply in personalized learning. And so I want them to personalize the content. You know, so what I ask them is like, take your key takeaways. And then also they have to then connect it to an outside resource that we have not covered in class. Oh, interesting. So it's actually a multi-layered personalization approach to learning, sort of scaffolding many different directions. And students are really shocked at how challenging it is. Um, <laughs> and also the consistent feedback I get at the end, not at the beginning, by the way, when they're like, oh my goodness, really? But at the end, 
people are like, that was really hard. And it really helped me learn better. And I do, it's, that gets back to that idea of like, what's the essence someone else can fall away. Mm -hmm. That's why I like short stories. Short stories are really hard to write. (laughs) Writing something that is a a whole world in 35 pages. Oh my goodness. Much more challenging than a novel. Okay. So I can't even imagine, by the way, (laughs) with all the writing I've done, I can't imagine that maybe, maybe a decade or two from now. So like in the marketing for good philosophy, yeah, we say that you have organizational goals and marketing objectives. Okay. So sort of goals are up here mm-hmm. and objectives because marketing is, is in service to the organization or the company and the company's goals. Absolutely. So I was just curious if you, I mean, some people are like, oh, you're just mincing words around the goals and objective, but I feel like it's, it's a really important distinction. And when you talk about content strategy and the marketing plan, it feels like that's, you know, a different rung on the ladder, the content, which then supports the marketing objectives, which then support the organizational goals. I would say it is because you have an objective, whatever that is, you want to reach a certain target audience mm-hmm. this week and have, you know, 20 people comment on your Facebook post. That's great. That's a great objective. Now, how are you going to do it? What's yeah. the language you're going to use? Who are those people exactly? And where else are they going? And how can you find out what is going to entice them mm-hmm. into staying with you into paying attention? I like the tactical and the practical aspects of writing. Plus it rhymes, tactical and practical. <laughs> <laughs> I do. I am. Um, I'm kind of a practical dreamer. I have big oh, dreams, awesome. but I'm very practical about how I live my life. I'm, I'm not a head in the clouds kind of person. And that's how I approach my writing also. I remember getting feedback from a professor in grad school where he liked so much of my story, but these things needed to be fixed. I'm like, great. So I went home that weekend. I fixed every single one and it came back I'm like, boom, let's go. And he's like, oh, I thought, well, that's what I thought I was supposed to do. <laughs> Fix it. Fix them all. Fix it. -hmm. Okay. Here's a, here's a unrelated question. Just a generic question. Mm -hmm. Are you somebody who, if you, if you have done something that wasn't on your to-do list, but then you do it, do you write it on the to-do list and then cross it off? Yes. I a hundred percent do that. I totally do that. (laughs) I totally do that. I want credit for all the things, you know, like it feels good to cross things off. Feels really good. Okay. So one of your superpowers is clearly developing is writing and then also developing content strategy. Mm-hmm. Um, can you give listeners some examples of like, what does a content strategy look like? What's included? So one of the things that I really enjoy doing is working with organizations to do a communications audit mm. to find out, are, would they usually hire me to, because they know they aren't where they need to be or they know they need to be doing communications. They need to have content strategy and they don't really want to do it. And that's fine. That's why you hire somebody to come in for a while as a, as a consultant to help you out and put a plan in place. So in that situation, what I'm looking for is, do you have communications messages already? Or are you winging it all mm-hmm. the time? You know, do you have a mission or values for your organization? What are we working with here? And then we figure out what those messages are. And I think it's fine to have you know, three to five communication messages. Three is great, because you can remember three pretty easily. And we break it down. Here are the three things, the three messages that the world needs to know, your audiences, or the world, I don't know how big your organization is, about you. And everything we do from there is filtered through those three messages. Every 
blog posts that we plan out, every e-news that is planned out, all your social media channels, as well as the content in those channels is filtered through those three messages. We stay on brand, we stay on task. And that can be very easy then to build out a framework for a year saying, here's our messaging, here's how this fulfills our marketing objectives, which fulfill our business goals. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So when you say communications message, does that mean, are they like themes or is it actually the message or is it the message and a theme? Because you said then you write different things to support that. So tweets and Facebook posts and LinkedIn. and I, um, Themes is probably the best way to put that then. Okay. Okay. Because then you have some, some leeway. Because the yeah. world changes, your organization changes, right? And mm-hmm. so your communications has to be responsive quickly mm-hmm. and you don't have to be dogmatic about these are messages and that's it. Well, so let's say your messages, we um, empower women and girls in low and middle income countries. Okay, that is clear. But there's some, some room around that, mm-hmm. about how we're going to talk about those issues. Okay, okay, that's great. So you do some, I think that you do ghostwriting. Is this true? Yeah, I do. I'm not sure all listeners will be familiar with that term. So will you help us understand what it means? And then also how you actually, how you in particular actually do it because different people Mm -hmm. ghostwrite in different ways. And I'm just curious how you approach it. So ghostwriting is when you are the primary author of a piece, but it is not your name on the piece. It is your client's name on that piece. And people hire ghostwriters because they have something to say and they either don't have the tools to say it themselves or the time or the desire to write it all out. And those are things that I very much enjoy. So in this particular time, um, I'm mostly doing ghostwriting for blogs. Okay. For clients who have for blogs clients. and you're writing mm-hmm. blog for clients. Okay. Uh-huh. Exactly. Uh, so we have worked out with one of my clients. We made a plan for the year. I like to break it down by quarter. Okay. Um, you can have ideas throughout the year, but uh-huh. once again, the world changes quickly. And when you're in a nonprofit or an NGO or in some kind of organization where you need to be responsive, how the world's changing, um, that schedule needs to be able to be flexible. So I look more at a quarter at a time to say, this is what we're going to be doing in April, May, and June. Here's the plan. We can scoot June out to July if necessary and uh-huh. move this in. And then I suggest to my client, here's what I think we should be talking about. And she says, that sounds good. I'm not ready for that yet. Let's move this over here because I can connect it to an event here. We reschedule. And then I write out an outline. Okay. Um, we talk, well, Actually, before the outline, we usually have a long conversation. I just take a whole <laughs> lot of notes uh-huh. Uh-huh. because then I get her language. I get how she wants to talk about it. I can ask questions about where she's going. And as she's doing this, I'm thinking about how I'm going to connect this to other pieces that we've written. And then I write it all out for her to read and edit. Got it. So they just have to personalize. They just and personalize. Exactly. So there's the words and then there's the tone, mm-hmm. like how that person sounds. Well, that's I, why it's that's good part to do. Of what's, yeah. So I did ghostwriting. This is a long time ago, I want to say, mm-hmm. for both Bill Gates and Steve Ballmer at nominally the same era. And it was just, it was, it was, uh, I find ghostwriting fairly existential. Um, <laughs> I can do it. I don't think I'm fabulous at it like you are, 
but that is the, the starkest example I have of, you know, kind of similar content in some ways uh, because of the work we were doing with them, but like they, they just talk so different. And so how do you, I mean, do you, do you help your clients define their brand personality if they don't have that? Or are you just listening for the, for the types of words that they use and then you extrapolate from that? I'm listening to the types of words they use, phrases that are common that they use over and over again, the cadence of their voice, because you want their written communications to echo their verbal communications, not exactly, because it is written, so it shouldn't mm-hmm. be word for word. It shouldn't be ums and ands or too many dot, dot, dots. Mm-hmm. It's not a transcript, <laughs> but you want to imbue the piece with their personality. So people will keep coming back because they also want to not just read the content, but they want to read their content. Yeah, yeah. What is it that this person is uniquely bringing to the world? That is something that you have to focus on too. Yeah. And I'll at times have to pull out my own thing that what had put in a little literary reference in one um, that my client was like, yeah, I wouldn't say that. I'm like, all right. That's Good where all know. that reading got in your way. <laughs> yeah. Well, one of the things I find so exceptional and endearing about you is your book log. Are you willing to share <laughs> with listeners about it? Yes. I keep a handwritten log of every book that I've written, that I've read. And I write down the date and the author and the time, the date that I finished it. And I've been doing that since 1996. That blows me away. I am not that disciplined (laughs) with my reading. I'm like, I don't know. I'm reading the book. I don't know. It's good. It's not good. I finally read The Time Traveler's Wife recently. And I did fall in love with that book for sure. Good. I mean, that came out in what, 2011? You know, <laughs> time to catch up. A bit busy. A bit busy. Well, you say it that way. <laughs> Actually, the reason that I came upon it, it was the day that the libraries were closing. So we're recording yeah. this sheltered in place um, during COVID-19. So we're never sure quite when the podcast episodes <laughs> will air. And it was the, they had announced like on a Thursday that all the public libraries were closing on the Friday. So I was one of those people who went and it was you know, we're just pulling off of the shelves. It was, it was like mayhem at the library. So I have the stack, you know, that's like, oh yeah, huge stack. Is it quality? I don't know. But they uh, were books and they were available and thank God they are with you. And it was slim pickings. Let me tell you, it was slim pickings. <laughs> so I was just psyched to get that book. <laughs> My pile of books from the library is all about World War II for some reason. I don't know how that happened. Oh, okay. Let's cheery reading for shelter in place. Maybe you're trying to extrapolate lessons? Sure. Okay. You have mentioned this, but I want to come back to it, which mm-hmm. is how quickly things change in the world. Um, I mean, we're obviously, we're seeing that play out minute by minute, hour by hour, day to day right now. But that's always, you know, it's accelerated and amplified right now. I'm just curious what trends you're seeing. And, you know, the, the thing with, with crises is everything feels equally important. Mm-hmm. And that's totally overwhelming. So if you were a listener or for our listeners, what trends would you be really paying attention to because you think that they will serve them on the other side of COVID-19 or sort of long-term? I think right now your audience wants to feel that you are there for them, Mm -hmm. but they don't necessarily want to talk to you every day. Mm-hmm. There is so much content coming at everyone all the time that I think that people are kind of weary right now. We can only take in so much before our hearts start to 
to beat just a little bit faster. Mm-hmm. And I do not want to add to the chaos at all. Um, I wrote a blog post in mid-March about that and saying that I don't think people should over-communicate at this time, which was going against what many other people were saying. And that's because if they can't hear you, they can't hear you if too much is coming at them. If you don't have anything relevant to say, mm-hmm. don't say anything right now. And that blog post, um, it, it got some great hits and I was thrilled about that. And then AWC National, the Association for Money Communications, the national group, posted it about two weeks ago. And I was really happy about that. But I could also tell the content was already out of date. <laughs> yeah, you know, I've been really quiet in terms of content, mm-hmm. um, you know, focused mainly on this podcast and it, you know, being something that will serve, uh, you know, sort of regardless of coronavirus and felt very conflicted about it, you know, haven't, really haven't done much, but I, I genuinely felt like, do I have anything to add that will help people in any way during this time? And, you know, I'm not a crisis communications person. Um, I'm much more of a messaging strategist teacher. Uh, yeah, but it's, you know, it's like a dialogue in my head for sure. And I know, you know, every, all my clients, past clients, folks in the community, you're just not quite sure what to do, right? Nothing feels quite right. And that's, that's a tough spot to be in. I think all the communications you send out right now must have a tone to them that lets your audience know that you are, you, you understand the crisis situation that we're in. It doesn't need to directly reference it. You don't have to hashtag COVID-19 all over the place. People and, know and we're there. Pivot. I think that that word needs to be banished. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can pivot because we're nimble, you see. <laughs> awesome. Sorry, I interrupted you, but I just had to throw that in about maybe something not to use in yes. situations. We need to get over it. If, the, if you don't have anything to say, then I'm really pushing people not to say anything. I had that same problem myself the other day. I looked, I had a note on my calendar. I needed to draft my May May blog post. And I thought, do I have anything to say that's going to be additive? That's going to be helpful? Yeah. And at that time I couldn't think of anything. So I'm not going to write until it's something that will actually help people in this particular moment. In a different point in time, I could have written about anything. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. But now it just seems um, superfluous or Navel gazing. Yeah, or sounding tone deaf. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. I want to make sure that we have time to hear your thoughts and wisdom about internal alignment mm-hmm. and communications and sort of managing internally. So you have come a couple of times to talk to my uh, to students in my marketing classes at the University of Washington. And one of the things that they are like blown away by is your advice about both the, you know, the, the, the complexities and the nuances of being somebody doing marketing internally and what that means, because one of the principles of the marketing for good philosophy is that it, it has to be, you know, good external engagement, but also good for everyone involved internally um, with that idea of like alignment being really important. So will you share your wisdom about, you know, your experience doing that? Happy to. So. I think people forget quite a lot that your internal team, your internal stakeholders, if you want to use that kind of language, they are your best ambassadors and everybody needs to feel that they 
are part of the team. They need to feel like they have enough knowledge to be able to go forward and support whatever your goals are. And I understand that different people at different levels get different information. Mm -hmm. Um, That being said, the more transparent you can be about where you are internally, the more engaged all your staff is going to be and feel like they actually have a stake in what's happening. I think you're going to see that even more now because everybody is all hyped up because if you have a job, you just really want to keep that job. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, And the more that CEOs and executive directors can say, here's where I'm, here's where we think we're going. The more people can say, okay, I understand that you don't know yet, but thanks for letting me in and letting me see that you feel vulnerable right now too, and that we're in this together. What I talk about with your class quite a bit too is managing up. Yep. And understanding that in order to be successful in your organization, you need to see what your boss needs. What are their goals? How do you help meet their goals? Because they are turning around and taking that up to the next level, whether it's to the ED or to the board. And they will be able to come back to you and say, oh, the idea that you had or the clarification that you helped me figure out about this project that we're working on. I took that to the big boss and let her know that um, that we are actually in a good spot, that we have a plan, and thank you for helping me get there. I had a boss early on who told me quite baldly, your job is to make me look good. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I get that both in. <laughs> I understand that. But really, if you help your boss be the best person they can be at that level, it will both help your career and theirs. And you are learning how to manage people. Being a manager doesn't mean that you manage people under you necessarily. You can manage and lead from wherever you are in your organization. You can be a mid-level person, but if you're someone that has the trust of your boss and the trust of your peers, you are a leader and people will come to you and projects will start coming your way. Yeah, and you can lead without being a leader, capital L, and manage without being a manager, without being, yeah, a manager, capital M. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And I see that in organizations all the time where in the last place I worked, there's a woman on the frontline staff and she's a manager, but there's two levels above her. But the ED, she didn't do anything without checking back with that manager because that manager knew it was happening on the front line and she's very smart. Yeah, And she had a perspective that no one else did. And she shared it. She shared it very well and in a way that made sure that everyone was included, but also was very clear, like, you know, we over here doing this particular kind of work, um, you should pay attention. Yeah, see us, see us. See us, pay attention. Yeah. You have this, I'm not going to, I think of it as the, um, the sandwich approach to making recommendations or, or when you're presenting options. Do you know oh, yeah. Can you share that? Yes. So, well, I'll tell you a story. So I had been asked to do some research and my boss said, do the research, present the best option. I said, fantastic. So I did all the research. I presented the best option. And my boss was like, oh, okay. Well, what else you got? I'm like, well, I don't have anything because you said to give me the best option. So here's the best option. Ta-da! Ta-da! <laughs> it's on a platter for you. And 
But that wasn't enough. They wanted to see more. And that's when I realized you always have to give somebody three options. You right. know what the best option is because you decided. Mm -hmm. So the next time I was told, bring me the best option, I brought three options. I brought the best option, I brought the okay option, and then I brought the other one. <laughs> right? right? The one yep. that was best, the one that I could totally live with, and then the one that was no good. But that just made the no good one, made the best one look even better. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's also how you present it. You have to, if you can push them across the table, that's even best. You're sitting yeah. there all together and you say, okay, well, here's option one. This option's okay. Yeah, this could do it. It's totally, it's fine. Uh, here's option B. It's, <laughs> it's an option. It's, and then, and by the way, so here's option C. Ah, Take a look at option C. Now that we've looked at A and B, very interested to see what you think about C. <laughs> I, love, I love the tone of voice. <laughs> it's got to be in the tone of voice too. You have to show them with your voice and your body that this is the C. right option. But of course, it is all up to you, big boss. I am laying out the options just as you said. You, you have questions? I can answer your questions. Love it. I love that. <laughs> <laughs> okay. At the end of every interview, I ask, um, same two questions, uh, which is what inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do this work? Because if you're going to do marketing for good, we need the motivation, which is for the mind and inspiration, which is for the heart. So what inspires you and what keeps you motivated to do the work? Um, I'll start with what motivates me. One of the things I realized when I started working for myself is that I really loved working with a variety of clients. Mm -hmm. And it, it, there's personal gratification there too. I get to learn a ton from all the different kinds of clients that I work with. And I really enjoy learning. So that was fun. I have a great curiosity for these different aspects of the industry. So maybe that's what inspires me is that I have the privilege of working with all these interesting, smart people who are out there every day working hard and doing good. And what motivates me is that in my little part, I'm making a difference in these different worlds. My name is nowhere, <laughs> and I don't need it to be anywhere. But the words that I write under someone else's name or under this organization's banner, it contributes to solutions. So I am not actually um, in the vaccine delivery process. But the work I do to help get information out about that makes a difference. Yeah. It advances the cause. And that I find highly motivating. Well, you do a wonderful job of giving voice to so many causes and people and all the rest of it. I want to thank you for making time for being here with us on the Marketing for Good podcast today. Thank you. It has been my pleasure. Yeah, it's been fun. If you listeners would like to learn more about Dana, please visit danavaness.com. Beyond her website, the best place to find her is on LinkedIn. And yes, her name has three N's and three A's. <laughs> B-A-N-A-V-A-N-N-E-S-T. And if you'd like to do marketing differently so you can get better results with less stress and more joy, all while making our world a better place, I recommend you start by taking the quiz at klaxonmarketing.com backslash quiz. All right, listeners, that's it for today. I'm wishing you a wonderful day.
Thanks for listening to the Marketing for Good podcast. If you enjoyed the podcast, please rate, subscribe, review, and share on Apple, Google, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you'd like more information about Claxon University, how to make more impact in and for your organization, or hiring me to speak or coach, go to klaxonmarketing.com or reach out at info at klaxonmarketing.com. Again, thanks for listening, and thanks for making our world a better place.